Bibles and turn over to the book of 1 John. 1 John chapter 4 verse 19. First John chapter 4, verse 19. You ever have any shirts that used to fit better than they do now? <laughs> I think it's because I'm working out and my neck is growing. <laughs> okay, so maybe it's not. But anyway, that was a little bit snug there. I thought I was going to, my head was going to pop while I was singing, but... Loosen it up a little bit for preaching, and I don't know. We'll see how it goes. First John chapter 4, verse 19. We're glad you're here today. And again, next week we look forward to a big day, and we're excited about that. And uh, If you want credit for the overnight trip, for the $100 uh, grocery gift card, or uh, for the $50 um, dinner card, uh, remember that they have to be first-time visitors. And a first-time visitor is defined by someone that hasn't been in the service at least 2,000 10, 11, and 12. So if they came three or, uh, a little over three years ago or four or five or six, that, that's fine. But if they're in our system from 2010 up, that's, you won't get credit for them for that, okay? Because they have to be first-time visitors. The reason why there are two families that might come with that one person that, I am that, that seemed to give me an indication, said that we're going to be here, is because they're new. They've got people that have not been reached yet. See, our goal is to reach people. To, to make contact with people. And so we can get the same people in week in, week out, year in, year out, so to speak, but we're not going to reach people with the gospel unless we get new people. And so you have access to new people that have not been reached. It's like a vein of gold in the, in the earth. You know, you've got to catch, get, you got to kind of break through to a new vein. And when you get there, then all of a sudden there's, it leads to different avenues and different places. And pretty soon you struck it rich. Well, guess what? We need you to strike it rich and open up a new vein of souls that need reached and people that need saved. And that's how it works. New blood always breeds new blood. And so we want you to help us with that. And again, you're, you're really not helping us. What you're doing is helping yourself. And you're, you're, you're increasing the kingdom of God. You're fulfilling your call and of the Lord. So you're, you're being a, a positive tool in the hand of God as you reach out to your family, your friends, and others uh, this next week. So let's do our best as we begin our new series next week and as we look forward to uh, having a good time in our service the 23rd. First John chapter 4, verse 19. We're going to read one verse, and then we're going to move along here. Um, what I'm going to share with you today is nothing that is um, new and, uh, uh, you know, um, it's nothing new. I just put it that way. It's basic. It's foundational. It's just simple truth, okay? And I just want to be a blessing to you and a help to you today. And I believe it will be if we'll just open our hearts and let the Lord speak to us. But the Bible says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, notice what it says. And don't gloss over it. It's, it's so important. It says, we love him because he first loved us. Yeah. Amen. We love him because he first loved us. You know, I love my mother. And, and if you were around me and my mom for any time at all, you'd find that that'd be the case. You would see evidence of that love. I'm going to be honest with you. Um, I love my mom because she first loved me. 
I grew up with love being exhibited toward me. See, my mom showed me love. She exhibited love in my life. She was there to meet my needs. She did things that said love every day of her life. As a result of the love that she extended to me, I found myself drawn to her, and now I love her. You know, God's the same way. Whether you realize it or not, God has always loved you. And if you will just take the time to slow down long enough and look around you, you will find that God has constantly and continually exhibited love in your life. There's not one thing good that you possess, not one thing good in your life that isn't from a God that loves you. And so today, as we look at this passage, we say we love him because he first loved us. God says, listen, you didn't love me first, I loved you first. You didn't come to the conclusion that you ought to love me simply because you came to that conclusion. No, you came to that conclusion because I loved you first. Because of what I did on your behalf, you now love me. And that's how it works. Too many times we take God for granted, I believe. We fail to appreciate all that He does for us. I know growing up as a child, I'm sure that you've had these experiences as well, maybe even in your, from your own kids, but you, you found yourself taking for granted mom and dad. You know, they give you the rules or they tell you you have to be in at a certain time or you couldn't go here or do that and certain friends you had they weren't real happy about and you found yourself, if not careful, somewhat bucking them, if, if, almost resisting them. You, it's because, and you didn't appreciate some of those, those subtle and sometimes not, you know, very forward uh, um, commands. The bottom line was is that we failed to appreciate what they were doing in our life. We forgot that they put a roof over our head, they put clothes on our back, food in our bellies. We started thinking, well, hey, I don't need you telling me what to do. I'm doing just fine on my own. Really? Well, I forgot sometimes what my parents were doing for me. I took them for granted at times. And I don't know that there's a teenager or a young person or a child that hasn't done that to some degree or another. As much as we try to appreciate our families, as much as we try to appreciate mom and dad, the reality is that if we're not careful, and most often, if not always, we have done that. Sadly enough, it is a characteristic and quality that we carry over to our relationship with God, too. How does God show us He loves us, then? How does he show us that? We say we love him because he first loved us. Well, why do I, Mark O'Donnell, love Jesus Christ? Why do you love Jesus Christ? Why do you show God that love and extend that love to him? Why would you do that? I'll tell you, because he loved you first. The question is then, how does he show us he loves us? And so today, this morning, I want to take just a couple of minutes and I want to talk about four ways that God shows us that he loves us. Four simple ways. Nothing big, but it could be life-changing. Nothing new, because there's nothing under the sun. Nothing new under the sun. But these basic simple truths leave no doubt in the mind of a person, if they will receive them from the Word of God, that God in heaven does love them. And if He loves them, they surely ought to love Him. Father, we come to You. 
We thank you again for this opportunity that we have to gather in this place. Lord, how can we ever thank you for loving us? Lord, we open up our hearts today and ask you, Lord, just to not only look in, but do your surgery in our heart and our lives. Lord, we need your presence today, and we need your power, and Father, we need you to to truly search us. Father, just be glorified in this service. Now, Lord, stand in my shoes. Let me be your mouthpiece, and Lord, fill me with your spirit. And Lord God of heaven, may you open every ear that they may hear with spiritual ears. May we leave here, Father, receiving what you have for us, not just what a preacher thought we needed. God of heaven, we want something from you and from heaven. We'll thank you now as you meet our need. In Christ's name, amen. How does God show us he loves us? First of all, he does that by laying down his life for us. By laying down his life for us. You say, oh boy, I've heard this a million times. How's your love for God? Before we shut this down, before we just say, well, I've heard all this. When has the love of God in your life kept you from doing something you know is wrong? Maybe you and I need to hear it one more time. So let's open our ears and our heart to this thought. He shows us he loves us by laying down his life for us. Turn, if you would, to John chapter 10, verse 17. Take a journey through the Bible every once in a while here in this message, but as a whole, we're going to lay this simple foundation showing how God loves us or how he shows us that. Number one, by laying down his life for us. In John chapter 10, verse 17. John chapter 10. John chapter 10. We were in 1 John just a moment ago. Now we're in that big book of John, part of the Gospels there. Let's begin reading in verse 17. The Bible says, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. I like that passage. He says... No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I want you to understand that when Jesus Christ mounted Calvary, when he took his place on that cross, when the nails were placed in his hands and feet, it wasn't a Roman soldier that held him to that cross. It was you. And I don't mean that you physically held him to the cross. I'm saying that the thought of you kept him on that cross. He could have easily said, I'm done with this, I'm finished, you're not going to put one nail through my hands, one nail through my feet, I'm done. No, but he didn't. Why? Because of you and me. He willingly laid down his life on your behalf and mine. He willingly did that. Why would he do that? You say, because of me? Yes, because of you. But because man is in darkness. Do you realize that man is darkness? Not even just in it, he is darkness. A very determined man was on his way to Damascus to... uh, He had authority even. He had authority from the council to imprison and persecute Christians. While he was on that journey, Jesus Christ shows up. And that man's name was Saul. 
And Saul would later become the Apostle Paul. He's the pen that God used to write 13 books of the New Testament. In his testimony to King Agrippa, he recalls that life-changing day on that road to Damascus. In Acts chapter 26, verse 15, it says, And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen, and of those things in which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles, unto whom now I send thee to, watch, open their eyes, and to turn them from darkness to light. From darkness to light. Turn them from darkness to light. And from the power of Satan unto God. From the power of Satan to God. That they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. See, the Bible teaches that we are not only in darkness, but that we are darkness in Ephesians 5.8. For ye were sometimes darkness. But now are ye light in the Lord, walk as children of light. A man says, well, I'm just, I'm, I'm in darkness. I just have to find my way out of the darkness. If I can find my way out of the darkness, I'll find my way into the light. And if I find my way into the light, then I'm in the presence of God. And my friend, you can't run far enough, do enough, or be enough to get out of the darkness because you are darkness. You need a supernatural life change that comes solely and completely through the power and the person of Jesus Christ. Again, we said that we're darkness, but the Bible does teach that God is light. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, This then is the message which we have heard of Him, and declare unto you that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. Seeing then that we are darkness, and God is light, we got a major problem, don't we? Because we know that light and darkness cannot dwell together. That is an impossibility. They do not dwell together. Where there is light, there is no darkness. You say, well, I've been in the place of where there's a dim light and there's darkness around it, but the light, in the light, there's no darkness. But I've been there where it's kind of like, like but the light, light is totally and completely different from darkness. There's no, no, you can't compare the two. They're just, they're not, if it's light, it's not darkness. And if it's darkness, it's not light. Well, it's kind of in between. What's that called? It's not light. And there wouldn't be darkness then. The two are opposite to one another. Therefore, we have this major problem. And you know what the problem can be summed up as? One word. There's one word it can be summed up as. Sin. Sin is the problem. In Romans chapter 3, verse 23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. See, man is not only plagued outwardly, but he's also plagued inwardly with sin. It is not what a man does, but what a man is that is the problem. It's not what a woman does, but what a woman is. That's the problem. So because man is darkness, sadly, man is doomed. John chapter 3. Turn there, if you would, please. Look at verse 16, that most common and 
popular verse. We'll begin in verse 16. You see it raised up at football games in the stands. You know, I'm not seeing that as much anymore. You notice that? I wonder if they told them they're not allowed to do that. I would almost bet they did. I don't see it as much as I used to. It's too bad. John chapter 3, verse 16. Notice what the Bible says. For God so loved the world. You could almost quote it. I know you could. That he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Here it is now. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. He's condemned already. Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Notice that a person that does not have faith in Jesus Christ is already condemned. It's not that they will be condemned. It's not that they will be sentenced. It's not that they will stand before God and one day be cast in the lake of fire. No, you are as good as cooked. That's it. It's done. It's a done deal. You're already condemned, the Bible says. Isn't that a sad statement? I mean, you talk about no hope. That's exactly why the Bible tells us that they're in the world without God and without hope. Why? Because they're already condemned. The man or woman that sits in jail today waiting to be sentenced at least has hope that the sentence won't be as tough as they think it would be. They sit thinking, well, just maybe, just maybe, the judge will have mercy on me. Just maybe. But there is no hope for the sinner because they're already condemned. The sentence of death has already been passed. There is no hope at all. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23 says. And that word death is used as used in the passage as defined in Revelation chapter 20 verse 15, uh, 14 when it says, And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. The lake of fire is the abode of those who fail to receive and accept Christ and to allow Him to be Lord of their life. So why in the world... Would you lay down your life for us? Why did he do that for us? We know it's because he loved us, yes. But instead of allowing us to live hopelessly bound by sin and destined for hell, the Lord willingly laid down his life on Calvary and provided payment for our sin. He paid the debt that we owed. He hung in our place on that cross. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Well, I'm glad that the Lord Jesus Christ bore my sin on Calvary. Glad that he took my place. But may I say today, he took yours too. We know God loves us because he willingly laid down his life for us. Nobody made him do it. He did it voluntarily. 
All because he loves you. Number two. How does God show us he loves us? By living in us. By living in us. Not only by laying his life down for us, but by living in us. The disciples were very distraught and discouraged by the revelation that their master, Jesus Christ, would be soon delivered into the hands of sinners and ultimately condemned to die himself. But Jesus assured them that he would not leave them alone. I mean, can you imagine you've traveled with this man for three, three and a half years, and you've left everything. You left your family businesses. You left all of your, your finances. You, you left your family even to some degree behind. And there they are caring for themselves as you're traveling, preaching the gospel, and you're sending back what little finances you can possibly muster up. And you're just holding on by a thread. And the master says, oh, just don't quit. Don't give up because there's a kingdom that awaits us. And you're going to rule and reign with me one day there. And then he says... Oh, by the way, I'm going to be delivered into the hands of sinful men. And I'm going to die on a cross. Oh, no, Jesus, you can't do that. We put all of our hope in you. We've, we've invested our lives in this ministry. You can't leave us now. And Jesus says, I'll not leave you comfortless. You know, loneliness... Is a growing problem in our society. A study by the American Council of Life Insurance. Yeah, life insurance. Reported that the most lonely group in America are college students. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? And that is surprising, isn't it? But next on the list are divorced people, then welfare recipients, single mothers, rural students, housewives, and the elderly. And that's something. To point out how lonely people can be, I, I, want, I, I read about an ad in Kansas, a Kansas newspaper. It read, I will listen to you talk for 30 minutes without comment for $5. I'll listen to you talk for 30 minutes without comment for $5. Sounds like a hoax. Sounds like somebody's trying to get rich, doesn't it? Sounds like they're you know, going to just take your money and run. But the person was serious. You say, did anybody call? <laughs> Come on, did anybody? You bet they did. As a matter of fact, it wasn't long before this particular person was receiving anywhere from 10 to 20 calls a day. See, the pain of loneliness is so sharp that we're willing to try anything to find companionship. To experience that. In John chapter 14, verse 16 through 18, Jesus said, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but you know him. For he dwelleth with you, and shall be, boy, like this, in you. I'll not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. 
What did he say to those disciples there in that time of loneliness, in that time of despair, in that time of great discouragement, in that time of darkness in their day? He said, listen, don't you worry about it. I'm going to come and I'm going to indwell you. I'm going to live in you and I'll not leave you comfortless. I'll come to you. Let me tell you today that you and I are not alone today. Although you may feel lonely, I want you to know that Jesus Christ loves you and that Jesus Christ indwelt you the day you accepted and received Him as Savior and Lord. And whether or not you feel His presence, He is there. And I'm glad He's there. We're told that the Holy Ghost is the one that closes the deal, so to speak, concerning our future. In Ephesians 1, verse 13, the Bible says, In whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed. After ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of His glory. What's he saying? He's saying the moment you accept and receive Christ, God sealed the deal by placing Himself, or the person in the person of the Holy Spirit, inside you. And today, if you're truly a child of God, if you're born again, if you receive Christ as your Savior, I want you to know that you had nothing at all to do with it. It's not about how you act or how you live or where you go or what you do. He is the seal that God gave you, proof positive that you're His child. And when He returns one day takes you to heaven, gives you a new body and a new home and a new future and a new eternity, so to speak, that Holy Spirit will stay with you. How does God show us that He loves us? He lives in us. He lives in us. Let me ask you something. You love your wife? You love your husband? You say, of course I do. You love your kids? Goes without saying. Let me ask you something. Do you love them enough to literally spend every waking moment with them? Literally never, ever a time off. You can't even go to the bathroom without them standing around. Hey, what's up? How you been doing? How's it going? Well, nothing's going while you're standing there. I mean, you can't get alone. You can't get away. They're with you. Oh, you love them so much, you're going to stay with them too. Oh, honey, I would never leave your side. I'm with you always. Honey, I think you need to go to work. They'll make some money. But I love you too much. You loving me that much, something's going to come to a screeching halt soon. Listen, all I'm saying is, the Lord does love you so much that He never leaves you. He said, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. He's with you everywhere, anytime, all the time. That is love. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we're more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded 
Let neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principality, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from that love. Because Jesus Christ is love. And he said he would never leave us. Or forsake us. How does God show us he loves us? By laying down his life for us. By living in us. Number three. By listening to us. By listening to us. In Second Chronicles chapter 30, the priest and the people had consecrated themselves to the Lord. And God was listening. Their voices, literally, the Bible tells us, were heard in heaven. In the book of 2 Chronicles, chapter 30, verse 27, the Bible says, Then the priests, the Levites, arose and blessed the people, and their voice was heard, and their prayer came up to his holy dwelling place, even unto heaven. Isn't that awesome? I mean, their voice was heard, and their prayer came up to his holy dwelling place. Even unto heaven. I contend with you today that when you sanctify yourself unto Christ and you ensure that your life is in alignment with Jesus Christ and you're following after his word and trying your best to please Jesus Christ, I promise you, according to the word of God, that your voice and your prayers are heard in his holy dwelling place. Even unto heaven. See, that's where you find Jesus today. Oh, yes, in you. But the Bible also says seated at the right hand of the Father. You say, how can he be in both places? Take it up with him. But he's God. I think he can handle it. I know he can. In Hebrews 10, 12, the Bible says, But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, talking about Christ, sat down on the right hand of God. He goes on in chapter 12 of Hebrews, verse 2, to say, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. When you pray and you lift your voice up to Jesus Christ, I want you to know that he has a listening ear. Sanctified Prayers of the saints are readily heard in heaven by the ear of God. Let's be careful to understand the relationship, however, that exists between God and his children. This is where we run into a real problem. We need to understand the relationship that exists between God and his father. First of all, he is a father to us. He's our father. Just because God is listening then, doesn't mean that he will answer according to our request. Wait a second now, you say, but wait a second, God's job is to listen and to answer my prayers. No, he's a father to you, the child. Don't ever forget the relationship that you enter into once you come to Christ as your Savior. 
You become his child. We are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. So by faith in Christ, you become the child of God. And as a child of God, that means he is your father. Now, hold on. Let's say a 10-year-old wants a gun or a grenade for Christmas. Lives in the city, mind you, not a country boy even. And he's certainly not a soldier. He wants, his, he wants an automatic weapon or a grenade for Christmas. Daddy, I've always wanted a grenade. That sounds like an awesome present, son. That would be great. Hmm. Your mom and I will consider it. He may have the ear of his parents. But that request will not likely be granted. You say, but why? It makes perfect sense to me why a 10-year-old would want a grenade. No, it doesn't, does it? Makes no sense at all. The parent may not feel that granting such a request is in the best interest of the child. The child may have this request, but that doesn't mean that the parent is obligated to supply it the request. Why? Because the parent always is most concerned about the well-being and the, the best, what's in the best interest of the child. Sometimes it may not be something that seems, sometimes it may be something that seems harmless even. But even so, there may be reasons, unbeknown to that child, that prompts the parent not to provide the request. I mean, if your children ever asked for something as a gift or a present or wanted to do something or go somewhere and you just didn't feel obligated to tell them why, but in the back of your mind you thought, well, in and of itself it's not wrong, but I just don't feel they should. Oh, you've never been there, but I have. Of course you've been there as a parent. And you just said, no, not, not today. No, that's all right. No, I don't think so. But, 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 no. Okay? Hold on. It's all right for you as a parent to deny the request of your child because you may feel there's either harm that could come from it or it just doesn't fit in the family scheme of things. How come then we get so bent out of shape when our father does that to us? Oh, it's all right for you to do it to your kids and for me to do it to mine. But the moment I tell or ask God for something and He doesn't give it to me, I go, You're not a good God! You're not a good God! You're not a good God! And that's exactly what we do. We throw a tantrum. And we throw our hands in the air. This is a mess. This is stupid. God don't care about me. He don't care about me. He don't care about anything. All the kids are laughing because they're going, that sounds a lot like something I need to do. <laughs> hey, wait, you know, adults, I just want all the kids to know, adults are probably worse at throwing tantrums than you are. They're just big enough to get away with it. They do a lot of it in here. They've learned to hide it and conceal it because they know it's not really socially acceptable. I just want you to understand something. God loves you today. 
And one of the proofs that he does is that he listens to you. But he is not obligated to answer as you ask every time. I have had people come to me with the craziest requests in the world. I've had people... Can I just give you an example? I've been asking God for... I see. Oh, I'll give you a good one. I've been asking God for a new car. A new house. Hopefully not a new wife or husband. But anyway, a new car or a new house. Now hold on. And I'm thinking the whole time. Let's see. If you get that new car or new house, will you be able to give as God commands you to give? Wait, 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 wait a second. But I need a bigger house. I've got more kids now. Wait, do you want to rob God? Maybe you better wait till your finances are a little more stable before you get that new house. Maybe God knows there's something ahead that's going to cause you not to be able to make that payment. Maybe God knows something you don't know that will hinder or hamper your ability to be a good testimony in the midst of it because all of a sudden it'll be in foreclosure. Or some guy will be running down the street Busting open the door and taking off down the road with the car. Oh, whose car was that? Oh, is that Christian down there? You know, the one that's been trying to get you to go to church all the time. You say that's stupid and it don't make sense. No, I'm telling you that sometimes God says there's nothing wrong with wanting a nicer home, bigger home, or better car. Maybe there's nothing wrong with that in and of itself. But maybe God sees something you don't. And as father, as daddy, he says, let's be patient. And we throw our tantrum. You don't love me. Oh, man, does he love you. Just that he listens. Wait a second. You say, that don't mean nothing to me. He don't do what I ask him. Oh, really? Tell that to those people who were calling that gentleman or that lady for $5 just for 30 minutes. Listen to me. Don't you tell me that you don't want people to listen to you. You know why women get all bent out of shape their husbands? Because they won't talk to me. They won't listen to a word I say. They come home and jump in the recliner and turn on the television and that's where they stay all night long. And I'm just, I've been having, I've had kids all day. I need some outlet. I need somebody to listen to me. Oh, really? Did you know that God loves you? And he listens? The reality of that truth is what we need to work on. It's hard for us to imagine that he's sitting in that chair right now. We have a hard time figuring that out. We can't imagine that. But the truth is, He's inside you, and He's seated at the right hand of the Father at the same time. You need to pray. The Bible says, pray without ceasing. The Bible says, call unto me, and I will answer thee, and shew thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Listen, God is listening. Why? Because He loves you. If, Ladies, if your husband listens to you at all, it's probably because he loves you. He could care less about some of the stuff that you think's important. And by the way, guys, they don't really think what you think's important is important. We listen to each other because we care about one another, and someone else's feelings are more important than ours. We love people. Wife says, I saw a new cooking show. There was this new recipe on there, and I, I really can't wait to make it, and I'm going to have to run to the store. Should we run to the store? Let's run to the store together, and we can... You don't go to the store because you care about that recipe. You run to the store because you care about her. Because you want to spend time with her and you listen. You say, I don't listen to my wife. And you won't be with her long. 
and vice versa. Listening says, I love you. You don't have to talk. You just need to listen sometimes. One of the biggest things you could ever do for someone that's grieving or hurting or in a difficult time is just to say, how you doing? I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Wow. Oh boy. Um, no. But no. Wow. Oh. I'm really sorry. There you go. You know what that just said? I love you. You want to know something? That's what Jesus will do too. He'll listen. And sometimes. When we get on track with God, when we're really in alignment with Him and, and, and our will and His will are aligned, everything we're asking for is what God wants for us, and it's like, boom, 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 boom. And sometimes God says, whoa, put on the brakes, and you go, eh, I probably shouldn't be asking for that anyway. That's probably not in the best interest of me or my family or what's going on around me. Maybe God wants to show something to someone else, and if He would do that for me, it might cause a problem. You know what, God, I just don't feel compelled to pray like that anymore. Isn't it funny how God changes your prayers? But you've got to be in tune with him. You've got to believe he's listening. Why? Because he loves you. Finally, last, and I'm going to end real quick. This only has six subpoints. <laughs> I'm joking, it doesn't. It's got five. But anyway, <laughs> he shows us he loves us. By laying down his life for us. By living in us. By listening to us. And finally, by leading us. Leading us. Now, I don't have a lot of time, so I'm going to just get right to it. Cody, why don't you come on up here? Cody's going to pretend to be God. A major stretch of our imagination. I'm going to be myself. The part I usually play the best, although it may not be the best. You didn't get that, did you? Okay, moving on. Cody is going to lead me. Because that's what God would do for us. He loves us. Why does God have to lead me? Why do you think God would, why do you think God would have to lead me? Doing bad things. And when we talk about doing bad things, Cody, we're probably talking about falling, tripping up in the Christian life, messing up, ending up somewhere we don't want to end up, getting ourselves in a jam, a pickle, a mess. So he's going to guide me so that I stay out of trouble, so that I avoid the pitfalls in life. Go ahead and guide me. I'm going to, I'm going to follow you. Go ahead. Don't go that way. That's how it works with most of us, isn't it? Sorry, God, we're not going that way. Go ahead. I'm following him. Now, all along, I'm following him. He's not going to let me get in trouble. He's pointing out every step. He's making sure that I know exactly where I'm headed. All i got to do is keep my eyes on him. All i got to do is follow him. And as long as I follow him, I don't end up anywhere bad. I end up safe. I get where I'm supposed to go. Thank you, Cody. Hold on. You say, well, I try to do... Hey, you know what? I try to, I try to lead my children. 
I've tried to lead my wife in the sense that I don't want to lead her into destruction. I try to make good decisions on behalf of the family. I try to do all those things. Well, I better make sure that I'm being led by someone too. And you as a mom and you as a dad and you as young people better be led also by someone that's never going to lead you astray. Hold on. This is what I think is so wonderful. You know, he loves me so much that he leads me day and night. There's never a time when he is out of my proximity. He loves me so much that I don't have to take one step, make one move without him. And neither do you. Neither do you. Thanks, Cody. He uses his spirit to guide you. Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. He uses his word in the book of Psalm, chapter 119, 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. He even uses the house of God, the man of God. As he says, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and, past, uh, and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come into the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. He said, no, you don't have to be like that ship on the, 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 the ocean that's being tossed about in the storm of life. No, you can have sh- sure sailing if you'll follow me. If you'll allow me to lead you through my spirit, my word, and even the house of God. As we open our ears and our hearts and our minds to his leadership, his guidance. Hey, listen, he loves you. He provides that for you. You know, I didn't always like the advice that my dad gave me when I was growing up. I, I, I just didn't. I, I, there were times I did, but sometimes my dad come across kind of harsh. And I'm like, what? I'm not stupid. You've never said those words or thought them, have you? I most often did what he said, but... And, and you know what I found when I did? It turned out pretty good, if not... Great, usually. I was tempted a number of times, however, through the years to disregard his leading or his guidance. And in those times when I did, I was the loser. You know what? It's the same with the Lord. You never disregard his leadership and not come out the loser. It always ends bad. How does God show us he loves us then? By laying down his life for us. By living, for us, uh, living in us. By listening to us. By leading us. There's a little song that some of our ladies used to sing a number of years ago. It goes like this. In letters of crimson, God wrote his love on a hillside so long, long ago. For you and for me, Jesus died. And love's greatest story was told. I love you. I love you. That's what Calvary said. I love you. 
I love you, I love you, written in red. How does God show us he loves us? By laying down his life for us, by living, for, living in us, by listening to us, and by leading us. Here's my question for you this morning. Don't miss it. How will you show your love for him today? How will you show your love for him? Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commandments. Father, we come to you. Lord, we thank you for what you've done for us and how you do love us and how you demonstrate it. We know, Lord, that we could go through another list of four and then another list and another and never exhaust the ways that you show us you love us. But this morning we've taken just a few moments and noted a few. Oh, God of heaven, help us to never doubt that you love us. Lord, today there may be those in the crowd who never realized the price that you paid because of their sin. And Lord, today they realize that if they're ever going to escape hell, if they're ever going to miss that condemnation, that sentence of death, to be eternally separated from you in the lake of fire, they're going to have to trust you, receive you, and accept you as Lord and Savior of their life. Father, today there may be those that do not have heaven guaranteed as a home, that do not know for sure that they've been forgiven and saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, today, may this be the day of their salvation. With every head bowed and every eye closed, would anyone say, Preacher, that's me. I don't know for sure. If I died, I'd go to heaven. I've never settled my eternal future and my eternal home. Please pray for me, Preacher. Anybody like that? I do believe God loves me. There's no doubt after what he's done by dying on Calvary, being buried and rose again. I believe he did that. I don't know for sure, though, that I've ever accepted and received him as my Lord and Savior, and I need to today. Anyone like that? Anyone like that? You're a child of God today. Let me ask you a number of ways he's shown you how he loves you. How will you show him you love him today? If you love me, keep my commandments, he says. What will you do today to show God you love him? Let's all stand to our feet, every head bowed. Father, if there were hands that were raised I could not see, or if there were only those that were raised in their hearts, Lord, may they come to Christ today. May they willingly step out into an aisle today, make their way forward where someone can take a Bible and show them how they can trust and receive Christ as Lord and Savior. And Father, for those believers today, may we make decisions today to say, you love me, I'm going to love you, and I'm going to do it your way. I'm going to love you the way you say you want me to love you. And that's by being obedient. By being obedient. Well, thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all.